Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano, and thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. I'm recording this in the middle of a downpour, so if you do hear that sound or a strange sound in the background, that's what that is. Today is July the 13th. This month is just flying by. I think the summers go by faster than ever before. I don't know. It feels that way anyway. Today's episode is brought to you by OneToManySystem.com. That's OneToManySystem.com. And it's difficult to grow your income one client at a time. And for a lot of people, it can take a really long time adding a client here and a client there. Instead, however, there is an easier-to-scale business and marketing model that you can use teaching what you know, productizing your assets, and getting more mileage from your overall efforts. This is a complete system that will show you how a one-person type of business can scale that business without having a team or a big budget in place. You can simplify your marketing, reduce your focus to a few basic things, and build an audience in the process. You can watch the full presentation to learn exactly how it's done at OneToManySystem.com. And before we get going, if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking a minute to share an episode link and a few comments about it wherever you are online. If you share this podcast, it makes it so much easier for me to reach people that would otherwise be very difficult to reach. We all know it's really noisy out there. It's really crowded out there, and it's not getting any less so. So whether you share a link to a specific episode or you share the general link at jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. I greatly appreciate it. So thanks so much for your support. Now, last week I talked about blogging for business, using search engines, specifically Google, Bing, and Yahoo to funnel new visitors to your website or to your content. I also shared some information about WordPress themes and plugins you can use to help things along. And from a business perspective, I find that there's often a disconnect between SEO strategies and a business's bottom line. People become hyper-focused or micro-focused on these individual elements of the overall picture, and in doing so, they lose sight of the big picture. So if you rank highly for certain keywords or keyword phrases, and if we can find your business on the first page of Google, Yahoo, Bing, or all three for a variety of keywords or keyword phrases, you'll sell more products or services, and that's the way most people look at it. Over the past 24 years, however, I wow, just saying that just made me hesitate for a minute. 24 years, yeah, time has really flown by. But over the past 24 years of consulting for businesses of all sizes, plus my own projects and my own testing, I found that this is absolutely not the case. Sometimes people think, oh, if I can just make it to the front page of Google, Bing, or Yahoo, or all three for these keywords or these phrases, then I'm all set. But again, I found that this is not the case. It doesn't matter if we're talking about a business brand or a company brand, big business or a little business. And let me just share a little backstory here. Of course, that is the end goal, I think, of all SEO, of all marketing, is that people are discovering you wherever they go, whether it's on social media, whether they're doing a search, 
whether on a video type of platform or whether they enjoy listening to podcasts, you know, all of us want to be there. You want to be found. You want to be discovered. You want to grow your following. And again, it doesn't matter what you're selling. You could just be selling intellectual property, so to speak. You can be selling software. You can be doing e-commerce. So there are certain things that are specific depending on what you're selling, how you approach marketing, and there are certain things that are general across the board. But let me just share a bit of backstory here because I think some of you can relate. In the early days, I found myself facing a dilemma. There were things that I wanted to do to generate income for my business, things that I enjoy doing. And there were also things that people were willing to pay me for and to pay me for... I guess you could say pay me for well. And these things generated income for my business. So if you look at what you're doing right now, maybe there's things that you want to do, but people really aren't paying you for those things. Or maybe you've created something and you're trying to sell it, but people aren't exactly beating a path to your door to buy that thing. And then there's other things that maybe you're a little tired of doing or you're really not excited about doing, but those are the things that people are approaching you about. Those are the things people want to pay you for. And so I found myself in that place also. So that was the dilemma I'm facing. I'm sure you can relate to it, at least on on one level. But there were things that I could also do that were very easy. They were very easy to do. So there's things that I wanted to do. There were things I didn't quite want to do. And then there were things that were really easy to do that took very little effort at all. And these things also made money. But those activities never seem to bring in enough money. The really easy things, at least easy for me, seem to bring in money, yes, but it never brought in enough money where I could just focus on that. Again, I'm going through my backstory a little bit here so you can relate to what I'm talking about today. So at various points in my journey, I would side hustle my way onto a path that we might call a passion path or following your passion. You know how everybody always says that you should follow your passion? I know people make fun of that too. Follow your passion like it's not realistic. You should follow the money or you should find a a nice intersection between the two, something that you really enjoy doing and also something that people are willing to pay you for. And I, I know that's a struggle for a lot of people because when people say things like, if you follow your passion, you'll never have to work another day in your life. In other words, the work that you're doing isn't going to feel like work. Of course, you're going to be working. You're going to put some effort out there. But if something you're good at, if it's something that's not strenuous, if it's something that you enjoy, it's a completely different scenario than waking up every day and doing something that you really dislike, something that you're really growing to hate or being in a situation that you really don't want to be in. All of those things are interconnected, whether you work for yourself or whether you're working for someone else. But to be in a place where the work doesn't quite feel like work. Now, I remember when I was 20 years old thinking about what it would be like to be retired and not having to do anything at all. However, I did find that over time, when I was in situations where I really didn't have to do much of anything, I grew bored very quickly. Not only that, but when I had nothing to do, it was very difficult finding other people that were in a similar uh, situation or position where they had nothing to do, and then you just go off and you have a good time or you do something fun. 
those times were few and far in between. And there was a period of time where I just took off two years and I did basically nothing. I did whatever I felt like doing. I woke up when I wanted to wake up. I worked when I, I did the very minimal to keep my business going for a two-year period of time. I was right around 2006, 2007, going into 2008. That's another story in and of itself. But I did discover at that point in time that doing nothing is highly overrated. And doing nothing by yourself, especially. And today I think about it and I say to myself, why would I, why would I not want to do something that I enjoy doing that is productive, that is even business related? I mean, as, as much as I enjoy streaming my favorite shows or movies here and there, that's not something that I could do around the clock and be happy at the end of the week that I watched X number of movies and this is what I did, or I watched these documentaries, or whatever it is that you enjoy. Can you imagine just doing that and doing nothing else? But on the other side, getting back to the work that we enjoy doing, nothing is more frustrating than when you're doing the work and you're putting in the effort, but you're not making enough money. So back in 2009, once again, I found myself at a place where I was going to follow one of those I guess we can call it a passion path. I'm going to follow something that I really enjoy doing. I'm going to get into it, and I'm going to do it as a side hustle and see how it turns out. And I had a feeling it would turn out really well because I had all of this energy. It was a subject I knew inside out. And so creating content wouldn't take very much time except for typing and editing. But the mistake I made, now hindsight being 2020, the mistake I made was that I was in a niche or a niche, depending on how you pronounce it, the fight game, boxing, boxing history, etc., where it was very difficult to find profitable things to sell. Even when I was getting an incredible amount of publicity, I have to tell you, I got a tremendous amount of publicity. I was contacted by mainstream media sources, by well-established boxing uh, if you're a boxing fan, you know some of the names if I mentioned them. Famous trainers. I was able to interact with legendary fighters. And it was just, I was in that place where I was getting this attention. And the thing about it was, was before I built this website, I told a bunch of people that were in a group or community, boxing community, what I was going to do and that it would be a perfect case study for building a website. And that's exactly the way, way it turned out. So I was on the ranking on the first page of Google for my keywords and my keyword phrases. The people, well-known people were reading my articles and commenting on them. People were asking for my opinion. And, and then what happened was when all of this popularity was there, when I was doing interviews and everything like that, I started realizing that I'm basically making pocket change. So let's see if we can figure out what we can do to make more money. So I sold ad space, and then I tried some of the ad programs that were out there with some of the ad networks. And I did that, but long story short, even when some of the top names in the sport were reading my articles, even when companies who were producing boxing equipment were paying me to place ads on my website, even with all of those things, it still wasn't making enough money. And that's what happens when you're in a niche where people aren't used to spending money. And the affiliate programs connected with that topic are 
basically paying out what you might call nickel and dime profits. I was creating a lot of content at the time. It was great. I loved doing it. I think if I was 80 years old and I didn't want to talk about marketing or write about marketing, I could actually see myself getting back into that and just writing about these the fighters and the sport and all of that just to keep myself busy. But when you're doing it from a place of business, when you're looking at what you're doing as a business, there's a difference between business and hobby. I know some people turn their hobbies into a business and I know of people that they grow to hate their hobbies once they become a business because that brings other elements into it that aren't quite as enjoyable. But I was creating a lot of content at the time and when you're working and not getting paid for that work, or not getting paid enough, it starts to get old. And so I would say from 2009 to about 2012, four or five years, I guess, I had a ball. I really did. I really enjoyed it. But it started to get it started getting old. There's only so many hours in the day, and I realized I had to take my focus off of that and do something else. So a side hustle that brought a lot of attention to me. Did I waste my time? Absolutely not. I've learned from every side hustle that I've ever done, side hustle project, it, whether it's worked on a very minimalistic level or whether it's worked really well or somewhere in between, whether it lasted a year or five years, I've learned a lot from every single project. At the time, especially if money is the end objective, then yeah, your attitude can take a bit of a hit and you can feel like you wasted your time. But in the broader picture, in the overall picture, you will learn things by doing these side hustle projects that you'll never learn just by taking a course. Taking a course is great. It gives you all the information that you need to get started and get started faster. But there's little issues and there's little insights that you only get from having gone through the process in real life. So I have a, a friend of mine who spent her lifetime teaching a certain type of painting, but she's also been a consultant in the area of business and marketing. And she had a very successful business in New York City back in the day. If you can su succeed in New York City, you can succeed anywhere. So she took all of the skills that she learned in New York City from running this large company that she built, her and her husband, from the ground up. She took the skills that she learned there and she applied it to this niche that she was in. It was very technical, very tight, and involved botany and history. And uh, even though I'm not personally into the topic myself, I can see that if you are, it can consume a lot of time. Now, again, her background is in marketing. That's where she made her money. And last year we were talking about this during a phone conversation. And she said to me, you know, looking back over the years, she said it's a shame that the money is always in the things that seem to be the most, how can I put this? The money is in things like marketing and advertising and she always felt herself being drawn back into that because even though these other topics were very interesting, even though they were very soothing and relaxing were two ways to describe the kind of painting that she did, even though it was very technical and she held these classes and people would join the classes and they would buy all of their supplies and she really enjoyed doing it. But it's a shame that you know, topics like marketing and advertising, it can seem it can seem like very 
shallow topics at times, especially in the online world. And we were just discussing that. As enjoyable as many of these other topics were, they didn't pay as well as the marketing or advertising niche did. They weren't money makers. You know, people laugh when I tell them that I used to want to be a boxing writer when I was a teenager. I used to want to travel around and cover the fights locally and cover the big fights out in Las Vegas or Atlantic City. And had I been born at an earlier time or in an earlier time, I might have done just that because my grandfather was already part of that world. I'm talking about making a decent living, though. That's the context here that I imagined myself doing this in. And certain niches are just much easier to make a decent to good living in than others. Why? And Because certain niches give people things that they place much higher value on. Things like health and things like wealth or business and relationships. Those are the big categories and they're the big categories for a reason. So if you position whatever you're doing to include one of those categories health, wealth, relationships, or a subcategory in one of those bigger categories, it can change the game for you. It can change your income. It can transform your income. So there are two things to think about here. First, there is the question, where is the true money in your niche? So let's take a well-known example. Tony Robbins. Everyone knows who that is just about. Tony Robbins used to make the bulk of his money. I'm sure he still does on his weekend retreats. If he doesn't do these weekend retreats anymore, probably not since COVID, but he probably does something else kind of similar to that. And people would spend thousands and thousands of dollars to go to these weekend seminars, four-day seminars, and his super fans were there, and it was very high energy, lots of excitement. And then the final thing they would do was they would do this fire walk. And It was pretty interesting. I saw it on TV a few times where they would talk about it or they have news crews in there and he made a small fortune. I think Tony Robbins owns his own little private island and he didn't get the funds to do that from just selling books or a few courses here and there, of course. He got it from all of the multitudes of people that came out to these four-day retreats. But then there were the other things like the books and the CDs and the trainings that you could buy from his company. But those were the kind of products that were on. If we looked at his business like a circle and the outer circles were just the outside where people had sort of um, maybe a little bit of a passing interest. Maybe they would buy a book or they would listen to a tape or something like that. I'm going back now into the 90s because he was he's been around for quite a long time now. But back in the 90s, he had a book called, I think, Awaken the Giant Within and I don't know, sold for seven or ten dollars or something like that and I didn't read it at the time I didn't read it till about four or five years later but I did know people that were huge fans of his and so they would subscribe to the newsletter and then they would pay a little bit more and they would get more information and more complete training materials and but his big thing was a percentage of the people that would buy the book for under twenty dollars would buy a more in-depth program. Maybe they would get CDs or DVDs. And you would buy these big packages and eventually they would have the ultimate package, the big package that they would sell for between maybe five and $10,000. Now today, of course, they're even more expensive than that. Maybe you get to spend a weekend with a group of people and you get the one-on-one training. You're gonna spend ten or $20,000 to go away to a resort somewhere. So 
But you could see that there was the inner circle where there was a small percentage of the people that would pay that big money. And then there were the outer circles where there were products that were inexpensive where you could basically test out his brand and see if he was for you or not. But that's where the money was. That's why he had enough money to buy the private jets. It wasn't just people buying books or uh, a few CDs. It was the people that would turn out to these big weekend retreats. And there were hundreds of people that spent that kind of money to go out and, and to have that kind of experience. If you can apply that thinking to your own business, I'm not saying that you should have a $10,000 weekend retreat or a $20,000 two-week getaway or anything like that. I'm just saying that if you understand how the main profit centers work in any type of niche and any type of business, and you apply those principles to what you're doing or you re-examine your business in that light, you can go ahead and make some adjustments that will benefit you tremendously down the line. So yes, it's possible to do well selling maybe more modestly priced products. I don't say that there's anything wrong with that, but what I'm saying here is that why not balance your product service offerings with something that is more on the high end of the spectrum. Something that if you sold a bunch of those, whatever that thing happens to be, it would really transform things financially for you in a significant way. With most people, when you think about it, the time and the effort they put into marketing as a good example of this, it's going to be the same whether they're marketing cheap stuff or expensive stuff. The effort in selling it is still there, but the reward for those efforts are vastly different. Now, this is a good place to segue into another topic, and I really wanted to talk more about this today than I'm going to be able to, but it is such a dry topic. It's a dry topic, and it's one that I very rarely talk about. It's one of the elements that has helped me with my marketing, even taking a brand new website project and developing it from the ground up, generating traffic and making money. Uh, It's the understanding of how SEO or search engine optimization really works and how to choose the right keywords and the right sets of keywords. And I know that this topic for some people is like eating dry crackers in the desert without water. But as long as you're here, as long as you're still listening, keep on listening because I want to do my very best to explain this to you in a way that makes sense. Now, if you already love SEO type stuff, that's fine. This is going to be very basic, but I think you'll get something out of this too. Understanding how to choose keywords and having a keyword strategy in your marketing and advertising are two things that I personally focus a lot upon, but talk very little about in comparison. So if we remove the word key from keywords and key phrases and said just stick with simple words and phrases alone, that might help you to remove a bit of the fog that surrounds this topic and your understanding of it. Whenever you and I search for anything, we type in a word or a phrase or a combination of both into whatever search engine we're using like Google, Yahoo, or Bing, and we get results. Oftentimes, isn't it true that we ask questions? So these words and these phrases that we use when we're searching for something are the keywords and key phrases in the SEO world. So let's say a phrase is two to five words that we might use, okay? Now, if we blend SEO in with digital marketing, if we kind of marry or join these two topics together, what we're going to do is we're going to look for topics 
We're going to look for phrases. We're going to look for questions and so on that people in our niche are looking for answers to. And then once we have that information, we're going to create the kind of content people are actively looking for. Now, the alternative, which is what most people do, especially today, is we write what we know about. Now, that's fine if you understand a lot about your topic, which you should, and you have very little competition. I know some people are great writers, but their sites do not rank highly for their particular topics in their niche because, well, I'm going to get into it. Let me just keep on going. Let me not uh, segue into something else. Let me keep focused here. The alternative that most people do is they write about whatever it is that they know about, which is good in one sense, but it may not be something, listen closely, it may not be something that's going to hold people's interest for very long at the time that you're writing it. Let me give you a perfect example here. I created a product on a topic that was of interest to me back in, I think it was around 2003 or 2004, something like that. It was a marketing product. I knew the topic inside out. And uh, it was an ebook type of a product. I believe it had a piece of software that went with it. And I was just so excited to roll this out. And it just did not hit. Matter of fact, and this is interesting, I did my very best to market the product. I had the artwork. The artwork was, if you ever really have, if you're a designer, then you know as well as I do, it's very happy to it's very difficult to be really happy with your final product. There's always something you could tweak and change. And if you look at the same design, maybe a week later or several days later, you see something that you want to change. And sooner or later, you just have to get it out there. Right? As imperfect as it may be, uh, and as hard as it is to put your finger on what it is that you really want to change, sometimes you just got to get it out there. And it's that way for writers. It's that way for any type of creative person. But I had everything just the, almost the perfect is the way I wanted it to. And when I rolled it out there and I let my list know about it, it was just the sales were meager. And I was so frustrated about that. This happened more than once. But this particular um, example that I'm giving you, case study, if you will, is particularly intriguing to me because the same product with almost no marking at all started selling four years later. Let's say three and a half, four years later. Now, what I didn't realize at the time is that you can take the body of knowledge that you have and maybe we can put it into, I don't know, five to seven different categories. And then in those five to seven categories, you may have subcategories where you can explain different things. But what had happened is the interest in the market overall, right? So we can look at a segment of the market and not really understand because that's the segment of the market that we're really interested in, that everybody's interested in that topic, but it's just a tiny segment. Even if you look at a Facebook group, which has several thousand people in it, it may look like it's a huge segment and it may feel that way. Like a lot of people are talking about this topic, but it just, it just seems that way because you're in that group. If you go to a larger, if you look at the broader market in general, then very few people are maybe talking about that topic, but it doesn't feel that way. So you get where I'm going with this. So what had happened was the general interest in that topic in my market just wasn't there when I released the product. But I didn't realize that because certain topics, you know, they, they come around like um, every three to five years. So we can look at marketing and we can look at subtopics within marketing 
And what was hot, <clears throat> excuse me, two or three years ago um, is going to be hot again this year or next year. And what's hot right now and what's fading out right now may not be that popular again for another three to four years. But what happens is we don't know that because sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. Sometimes you don't have the data. All you have is what you're experiencing. And what feels like reality to you may not necessarily be reality. For example, just how feelings work. Have you ever felt scared for no reason at all or anxious or worried? right? Because you're thinking about something, you're focusing on the wrong thing, and the feelings just kind of happen because you're thinking about that thing, or you're thinking about something negative or whatever. Or you're in a group of people and everybody thinks a certain way, and you think that everybody thinks that way, and then you get outside your group and you find out that, well, not that many people think that way. So when you bring this over into the business world, the same thing is true. There are topics that trend, they ebb and they flow. And what happened is I created a product around a topic that was ebbing, <laughs> that was dropping as far as interest goes. But it came back three and a half years later, and that product started selling. And I was, I was confused at the time because I didn't develop a product according to real live data. I just knew that this is a topic that I knew a lot about. It would help a lot of people. And I thought that I could almost manufacture the interest by putting out that effort to do it. Please understand, I'm not talking about fad topics. I'm not talking about topics that are hot this month and they're going to be cold next month. I'm talking about topics that people have been looking into for the past year, for the past 6 to 12 months. So I can research topics on Google Trends, and there are hundreds of software products out there that I can use to analyze keywords and key phrases and their popularity. One of my favorite tools that I recently rediscovered again is a tool called Keywords Everywhere. Keywords Everywhere is a browser extension, but there's also a paid version. And for $10, I can buy 100,000 credits. So when you're actually doing the research, it's one credit for one keyword. The credits are good for a whole year, for 12 months, and if you run out, you can spend another $10 and get another 100,000 credits. So that's not going to break the bank, right? So with tools like this, you can build a plan or a strategy based on real-world data and insights. You can begin to write about topics or create videos around topics that more than just a smaller group of people are interested in and still be within your market and still be within your niche. Once you see this, you can't unsee it. In other words, once you have the information, once you know that people are asking this question or people are making this comparison in products or people are having this problem, it's one thing to see it in a group where people are talking about it. And that's fine. You can see that information there. It may be a widespread question or it may be particular to that group. But once you have access to data, real world data, and that you know that this is something that quite a few people are being challenged with, then you can take the next step. You can see the articles that have already been written about that topic about that micro problem, if you will, even. And then you can say, I say micro, but it's on a wider scale, if you understand what I'm talking about. We're talking about volume here. And once you, once you have that information and you begin to see what information is already out there answering that problem, <clears throat> then you can do things intelligently like 
realize that oh, this article is great, 90% of it's great, but they left out this one part. So that when you create your own article or your own content or your own video based on that, then you can make sure that you include what was excluded by the other article. So if a piece of content ranks highly for, let's say an article or a video on YouTube or anywhere else in, in a search engine query, if it ranks highly and it has all these elements, then you, mean, you need to make sure that you also have those elements. It's not copying, it's using what's already out there and making something better. That's the mindset that you wanna have when you do this. So with tools like this, you can build and you can plan strategies that are based on real world data and insights instead of guessing. You can begin, as I said, to write about topics and create videos around topics and other things that more than just a smaller group of people are interested in. And once you realize this, it really does change things because once you realize this, once you see it and you look at what you've done in the past, you realize that for the most part, you were flying blind, you were guessing, and it was hit and miss, nothing was done consistently. And even if you're not creating content, but you're focusing on paid ads, those words, those questions, those problems, those phrases are no less important because they're gonna show up in your ad design. They're gonna show up in your ad copy. Even if your ad is just one or two sentences and a graphic that shows up on Facebook, just a very simple Facebook type of ad, even if you're gonna do something like that, or you're gonna use Google ads and it's just gonna be a few lines, those lines are going to reflect what people have already been searching for. You, again, you get where I'm coming from. So paid ads or content creator, this works for both. All right, let's sum things up. In closing, make sure you have products, services, or both that are structured in such a way that you have multiple paths to profitability. In other words, if you're gonna have lower end products, go ahead and add mid-range and higher end products into the mix. In plain English, don't just try and sell a lot of cheap stuff. Next. Go ahead and use tools, become comfortable with tools such as Google Trends and Keywords Everywhere to understand what your market is looking for. Keywords Everywhere is a Chrome extension. It's a Firefox extension. I have a separate browser set up Firefox that I just use for Keywords Everywhere because every time you type something in, if you already have the paid version, then it's going to subtract credit. So have a separate browser set aside just for Keywords Everywhere and that's where you do your business research. Learn what your market's looking for, adjust your content creation, your video creation, or your ad strategy to reflect what people are interested in now. Now meaning the past year, the past six months, the past nine months. That's how you'll attract a new audience, that's how you'll grow your brand, and that's how you'll sell more of whatever it is that you have. Now we're not talking about magic, we're talking about a solid strategy that you're going to build out over the next 12 to 24 months. 12 to 24 months is gonna come and go anyway. So at least if you're doing the right thing, you'll have more to show for it one to two years down the line than you will have had if you're just guessing at what people are interested in because of what you happen to see on social media or what people are talking about this week. In other words, stop guessing. Learn to tap into real world data and learn what's going on out there going forward. Okay, that's all for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think it will help a friend again, please share the episode link with them or send them to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. All the back episodes can be found there as well. Thanks again for listening. Have a great rest of your week and I'll talk to you later.